If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel with another episode of the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. Um, first, I apologize for the strange little hiatus of a few weeks. I had totally planned to have an episode coming out every week, and then, of course, you know, it got busy. <laughs> so, um, but I am back, and I my goal is to record a few episodes for you today so that, um, well, you're listening to this a couple days later, but so that I you won't have to wait another three weeks to get the next episode. So today we are talking about, I guess it's just kind of a reflection of that I noticed a few weeks ago. I actually shared this with my email list. So if you're getting my newsletters, the story part is going to be familiar, um, but I kind of wanted to update you as well. So if you are a newsletter um, receiver. If you're not, I'll put the link in the show notes to get on the newsletter. But if you are a newsletter receiver, you've heard you heard um, what initially like kind of I don't know. I want to use the word spawned, but that sounds weird. Um, brought to light this observation of mine, and I'm going to update you on um, how it's been going since I realized this. So um, a few weeks ago, I well, okay, let me start with. My, I was just talking to my, um, who was it? My kid's friend's parent or like maybe a preschool teacher or something. I can't remember. Uh, and they were just sharing about how they have their kids, you know, our kids go through phases that we are maybe less of a fan of, right? So for me, the fours have always been a challenging period. My two oldest are finally have like my, my middle child has now like moved out of the fours. My youngest is going to be moving into the fours. So I'm not done with it yet. But I noticed with my two older kids that I, I just, I had a hard time with the fours. I don't, I don't know why, but I, it was just one of my less favorite periods in their development. Um, and However, my middle child, he turned five in the summer, and I feel like, you know, once school started, I really started to see a a different kind of maturity from him, a different way of handling his feelings and um, just communicating and playing, and it's just been really nice, and it's so funny. We were looking at his school pictures compared to last year, and he just looks like such a goofy little four-year-old last year, and this year he looks like a, just a little man, and it's adorable, but anyway, um... But however, in in the height of the fours, I 
noticed, and we noticed as a family, that there was this inclination to label um, my child as, you know, difficult or, or the instigator or the, the challenging one or whatever, you know? And I was fully aware of it. And as a family, we worked really hard to prevent that label from being communicated to my child or our kid, you know, um, my, me and my husband's kid. Uh, and of course it's like an ongoing effort, but we really adapted our, you know, our family discipline approach or, um, you know, behavior management plan, uh, to, to make sure that we were not, that he was not going to internalize, like I'm the bad kid and I'm the one that's in trouble and I'm always the one in timeout or anything like that. So we really adapted how we were dealing with um, some of the challenging behaviors so that that label did not like come to identify him or he did not identify with that label. So um, in my classroom, it over, it was probably like the first four weeks or so, so, I noticed that there was this label developing with one of my classes. They are, you know, like, Terms like, and I don't like these terms, and but I'm, I'm trying to be honest here. You know, the the lower class, like the not honors class. You know, the the chatty class, the difficult group, and you know whatever words or phrases that we've all had classes like that where, and sometimes it's even the entire grade. You know, it's just a rough year where we have these labels in our heads. And, you know, while as like individuals, I was fully enjoying my interactions with pretty much all of the students. And yeah, there were definitely at that point, a few relationships that I was really struggling with. Um, They're much better now. I can say that fully confidently. Like I, I feel like I have a very good relationship with every single one of my students this year, which is really awesome. Um, But at the same time, while well, when I thought about them as individuals and how, you know, they really were some great kids in that in, in that class and in all of those classes, as a group, I just kept generalizing or my brain kept generalizing, you know, these labels and total natural evolutionary response, whatever. But as a result, I was finding myself going into class anticipating like those challenges. So, you know, on one front, our brains do this as a survival mechanism, right? Um, they, it, it's a way to prepare. It's a way to adapt. It's a way to make decisions. So like our brains do this. It's just what they do, right? And on one hand in my classroom, it was a way that I could think about my lesson and make sure I was doing everything I could to make it run smoothly. So it wasn't all bad. But at the same time, I could tell I was just going into class with a higher level of anxiety and it was just impacting like the joy in my class. You know, when I was already expecting a challenge, I was enjoying the teaching experience less. And whether I intended to or not, you know, of course that attitude is going to be communicated to my students. And, you know, there were even a couple of moments where I almost said something or I even said something that was... I mean, I wasn't coming on and being like, your class is the worst, but I, I would catch myself like, oh, I don't, I don't want them to, I don't know. I, I, I can't think of an example, but I know there were a couple of moments that I was like, shoot, I don't want to say that. Um, so the result was we were all kind of getting into this groove of unhappiness or like suffering, you know, to an extent. So... I realized that, and I think honestly, that's just half the battle, just becoming aware of what our brains are doing and how it's impacting 
us and our interactions with others and our relationship with others and our work. Um, so when I shared in my email list a few weeks ago about this, I was just in like that initial phases of like realizing that experience. And so what I was doing at that point was just working on rethinking my attitude about my class by catching the labels that my brain was applying. So I was just being very cognizant of like, I am thinking about my class in this way. And then I was like, okay, and I need to figure out how to then move beyond that and bring some of like the joy and the play into our learning experiences so that we can improve our classroom environment, include, improve our, um, our, our learning experiences together, right? Because the problem, if, if at that point I was thinking, you know, the problem is if these labels continue, the difficult class, the tough group, the hard kids, like whatever, we do it, sometimes we do it to classes, and I know like outside the teaching world, or even within the teaching world, in talking about schools, that's, I, I hear that a lot, you know, um, in my in, in my town or, you know, teachers that teach in one district talking about the schools in another district. Oh, those are the hard kids. Those are the bad kids. Those are the difficult kids. Like, whatever. I've been in, in you know, um, upper level income, private school. I've, I've worked with those kids. I've worked with the, the kids that, you know, the community is saying those are the bad kids. Those, like, they're just kids. Um, so they're just kids. But, like, those labels have an impact. And what they do is they tend to push us into spirals where these negative attitudes reinforce challenging behaviors in our students, which then in turn like prove that our negative attitudes are correct. And I say prove in like quotation marks because it's just like reinforcing, but the negative attitude, you know, was the one that was kind of causing, not causing it, but playing a role in it from the beginning. Anyway, it's just like this downhill spiral. So, you know, just like I... As a family, we had worked to really avoid this like label defining the roles that my kids play within our family. And I feel like we've done a really good job of, of moving through the fours. And I'm sure we'll, it's just ongoing work. We always are doing this, but just being aware of like those roles and the labels that we use with our kids. I knew I needed to like bring that approach into my classroom. So back when I emailed my list in, I don't know, early October or so, maybe end of September. I was just becoming aware of those labels. And what I did, and I and I just kind of left it out, like I'm going to let you know how it goes because I, I'm still figuring this out, right? So I wanted to update you guys now and share with you some ways that you can approach those labels and the labels that you have in your head and maybe start to revamp your mindset as well as... Um, you know, what to do with a class like that, that does feel more challenging and that you are prone to like labeling in that sense. So, okay. So one of the things that I knew I wanted to do was work to incorporate some play and also experiment with the formats of, of learning in the class. So one of the like easy things, I just, I threw in some Kahoot games early on because I was like, we just need to like laugh a little in class. We just need to just relax and have some fun. And they really like Kahoot and I think it's pretty fun. So I, I mean, that was just like a super easy, you know, we just need a refresh moment in our class. So I incorporated some of, some of that and some Kahoot games. Um, I brought in some 
kind of more relaxed activities like we did a coloring just like a coloring um they had a right they had a regular task and then when they were done instead of like adding additional work or moving on to the next thing I'm like okay hey we have a little bit of extra time let's let's do some science coloring. And so I had some science coloring pages that were about the concepts we were learning and we did some coloring. And it was nice. It was just, and we just hung, like kind of hung out and, and, and talked a little or, or just relaxed, you know, um, and had that, that downtime. So kind of coming back to all of that relationship building at the beginning of the year that we, we tend to do and tend to focus on, I knew that my class needed just a little bit of we're just enjoying each other's company time. So I brought in some of the games. I brought in some, um, like, they were still educational, like the Kahoot or whatever. I brought in some just relaxed coloring with some science coloring pages. I um, I did not actually do this, but another strategy would be to come back to those beginning of the year games, like, uh, or beginning of the year get to know you activities. I did not feel that was necessary because I did feel, I do feel like I've, um, we have a good, we have good relationships and like I, I'm, I'm getting to really know the students. So I didn't go to this. However, you know, those types of where you ask a, a, an interesting question and then we just all talk about the answer, right? Um, or the like this or that kind of move around the room. Like that would have been another great thing to do just to kind of reset our class culture. And again, just find some joy in hanging out with each other. So those are some like really simple things that I, I was able to do just very quickly right away. You know, the next class, I think I threw the Kahoot game in just just for fun, right? Um, another thing that I did was I was working toward contacting the parents of all of my students with something positive. Now, this is a practice I love to do at the beginning of the year, um, and in the past, you know, it's always been you had to do like the phone call home. However, the parent apps that we have today make it so easy to contact a kid's parents. I had a general, you know, kind of a canned message that I just then adapted for each student. So, um, you know, you have to be careful. Like, I don't want to be like, your kid is doing an amazing job in science class if their grade is an F. Like, that's a little, you know, but I can still recognize like your student is doing a really good job participating or your student is doing a really good job getting their work turned in or um you know I love the positive attitude and helpfulness of like this student like I found something nice to say about every single kid and I sent those messages out and um and the responses I got from parents were so like reinforcing like that it was worth, uh, I think it took maybe an hour to do all of my students. I didn't do them all, maybe two hours. I don't know. Maybe not even, maybe an hour. I didn't do them all at once. I did like half of them. I did over three prep periods, I would say. Um, so I spent maybe 20 to 30 minutes each each um, day for three days and just like sent out those positive notes. But the responses I got from parents were so, it was just very reinforcing. Like as a parent, you know, you love to hear it when your kid is doing well. And I think so often teachers and administrators and all of that contact parents when things are not going well. And then when things, for the, especially for the kids that either are always good, they don't even get the feedback because you're like, well, they're just doing a great job. I don't need to contact the parent, right? Or the kids that struggle, we contact when it's a negative thing. And then that's all the parent hears from the school or from the teachers. So the responses I got were just like, wow, it's so nice to hear somebody you know, like saying that or recognizing my kid or like whatever. And then the kids that, you know, 
I've, I know are sometimes getting in the negative contacts, like their parents were just so appreciative to hear good news for once. Um, so I, I did that. And that's not something I even talk to my students about. I just kind of say in the parent message, like, I just want you to know, and please feel free to pass it on to, you know, your student, um, that I'm really enjoying having them in class. And I really appreciate their work this, this quarter, or like this in the class so far. Um, so that's another thing. And again, it is well worth the, the amount of time that it takes to send those letters home. And obviously, if you have more students, then it takes more time. But just a kind word, like once a quarter or something like that, or once a semester even, can just really work wonders. And front-loading that at the beginning um, can be really, you know, you, you do it for like the, the kids that you never have to contact their parents. You do it early on. And then you maybe don't do it again for a few months, and it's fine. Like, but but they just know that you've just established a really nice connection with them. Okay, so another thing that I really made an effort to do was when I did, I did, I do contact parents regularly. Like if a kid is having a hard time or I'm seeing a behavior or something like that, that is my, one of my go-to, I don't want to say consequences, but one of my go-to things because I want to be communicating with the parent. I want them to know what's going on. I want this kid to know that I'm in communication with their parent. Um, and... And it's really effective for a lot of students. Obviously, I know it doesn't work for everybody, but it is effective for a lot of students. And um, and it's something that you have control over in your classroom. You can't control what an, an administrator does or says or whatever, but you can control what the contact you, you know, you give your parents. And a lot of times parents, I mean, are, are supportive of that, right? So um, I always, um, this is kind of a side note, but like when I'm contacting parents, I'm really... I, I really try to frame the behavior issue that I'm having as a it's hurting their kid that they are acting this way because it is interrupting their learning. It's interrupting our class's learning. Um, and I really want to know how to get them back on track. And I would love their support in that. So I really try to make it a, hey, we're a team here. I'm really having problems here. Can you help me so that I can help your kid so that they can learn their stuff and that we can be successful together? So... You know, but it is kind of a negative contact because it's about a problem in class, right? So I always try to follow that up within a few days with a positive contact as well. So a positive update. If I notice any improvement at all, like this kid was missing all of their work and hey, they turned in one assignment, yay. Or they did a really good job participating the first half of class. Even if it's like the first 15 minutes. I've honestly sent a letter home that was, or a note home that was like, um, that was this kid that did nothing the first, you know, couple classes or whatever, had their head down, broke my pencil. I was really annoyed about them breaking my pencils. Um, and I, you know, the following class or whatever, this kid went and got his notebook, got his workbook, got a pencil and did, I don't know, maybe he didn't do anything after that point, but I really appreciate that he participated up until that point. And so I, you know, again, it's not like I'm giving a totally glowing, like everything was wonderful review, but I'm like, I I feel like we're making progress and I want to acknowledge that. So thank you, um, you know, for, for helping and I wanted to just update you. So following up with a positive update, I feel like also kind of, because the parents are obviously going to talk to their kids about it too. Um, it, it really does bring that, for one, it brings that like, hey, when you do good things, I'm also going to contact your parent. But also, two, I feel like because I'm following up with a positive, I'm searching for something good that they did. 
And it's helping me see them in a different light. Because again, our brains are also like evolutionarily wired to focus on the negative. And we sometimes have to consciously seek out the positive. And by making an effort to follow up a negative with a positive, I have to look for that positive and I have to notice it. And again, it's kind of retraining my brain to see the good things in the kids, right? So that was another thing that has been really helpful. Um, additionally, I am... I spent a lot of time, and I'm still figuring it out, and some days I'm like, oh, I, I think I got it, and some days I'm like, no, that's not working. Um, but experimenting what is going to work for certain groups of students, and instead of instead of like just buckling down and trying to change the students and maybe some of the dynamics in the class, because um, a lot of times it's not, it's not, it's not inappropriate, well, it's not bad, it's just, maybe they're just really chatty. And they're not all chatty every day, but some days they're chatty, you know? Um, what can I do to restructure the class to better fit their, their needs? Or what can I do to teach them the skills to meet my expectations? So chattiness. You know, what can I do to minimize, even further minimize the amount of talking or leading that I do and instead have them working in partners or in small groups to accomplish the task? What can I do to minimize the amount of instructions I give and instead have them written and printed and maybe in video form so that they can get the instructions, but I'm not trying to quiet down the entire class and have their attention for an extended period of time? Um, what can I do to, you know, so that's like the chattiness factor. Maybe the getting work done factor is a problem. How can I help them learn to work independently? So maybe we are talking about like checklists and we're putting checklists in our notebooks before we begin an activity that allows them to like see what they have to do and go through the tasks and check them off. Maybe I am chunking out the task so that instead of, you know, maybe with one group, I'd be like, hey, we're going to read and annotate this article, and then there's a couple questions um, about the science current event, and we'll talk about them after. Maybe I am doing, okay, we have five minutes to read the first, you know, three paragraphs or something, and I don't know. Yeah. And um, answer number one, I'm going to be coming around with a stamp, and I want to see that you're done in the five minutes. We'll talk about number one, and then we'll move on to number two you know, the next paragraph and talk about number two. Um, so what can I do to break it apart to like keep them on track and better meet their needs? And because some of these are executive functioning skills that maybe they just haven't developed yet. So teaching them, adapting the task to meet their level of, of, of executive functioning or or giving them a skill to work toward. Maybe it's spending, okay, the five minutes of every class, we're going to hop onto Google Classroom. And even though I don't use Google Classroom for every activity, I do use it as like my grade book basically right now because our grade book thing, our grade book program is awful. Um, so every, every, every assignment does go in there, even if it was like a paper assignment or a lab or something like that. So maybe we go into Google Classroom at the beginning of every class or at the end of every week and we look at, which assignment, these are all the assignments that should be done, that should have a grade in them. Are you missing anything? I want you to write it down. And let's take five minutes to go through our folder and see if it's done. And if it's not, if it's done, turn it in. If it's not done, then, hey, we're going to, I'm going to call you in during study hall on Monday and we can finish it together. Or you can finish it over the weekend or whatever. You know, maybe it's 
doing a something like that to address the missing work components or the missing work factors. Um, so really figuring, just experimenting with might, what might work for different classes. And instead of working and getting so stressed out about changing them, just figuring out how to let them be them and build the skills that they need or adapt to the dynamics of the classroom. Um, because I could, sure, I could spend a ton of time issuing punishments or um, waiting for talking to stop or, you know, and, and of course there is an extent of, there's certain expectations that I, I would have and I still, when it's my turn to talk, it's my turn to talk. But also there's just dynamics in the classroom and people are different and um, and I feel like there is a, a degree of honoring who our students are and not always trying to change them to, to meet our wants and expectations, especially when it's not something that like I would consider, you know, fully inappropriate, like break, like, I don't, I can't think of a descriptor, but it's something that I don't think I need to change about, I guess, a kid. And maybe it's more of a problem with our system and maybe I can adapt how the system is operating in my class to better meet the needs of my students and better meet who they are as people, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, so one, so just experimenting with what works. And, you know, with that class, I experimented with, so, so far my experiments have been um, doing, yeah, more group activities and, and, and having instructions like written on, uh, originally they were instructions written on Google Classroom and there were, you know, you have a choice of these three activities. Um, I found that giving too many choices made it actually harder for the students. That didn't work too well. However, working through them at their own pace seemed to work very well. Um, that said, I found that they struggled with instructions on posted on Google Classroom and in, they really need to have a printed set on the table and honestly probably a couple printed sets because I don't, they just, if, <laughs> I don't know why, they just like each need to have their own or something. Um, or at least two so that two kids and two kids can share at my four people tables. Um, so that was one experiment and sometimes it has worked, sometimes it hasn't. I've experimented with doing more with that group. I, I have done you know, when, when the, the one day the stations kind of thing flopped. So we aimed for doing more of like a direct instruction. And I found that they did really well with copying some notes, but they don't do as well when it comes to like long, like trying to talk as a group, like a whole class or anything like that. Um, but hey, there's, you know, when they have like a very specific task that they're like writing something down or, or, um, things like that, that worked well. I found that having them do some work on your dry erase boards worked wonderfully. So, you know, like I said, discussing things that as a class didn't work too well. However, having them um, posing a question, having them talk about it and write some answers on a on any dry erase board and then sharing their answers that, they, that were written on the dry erase board, that worked really well. Um, I'm trying something in this next unit. It's like kind of a mini unit because it's not part of our curriculum, but our curriculum, I have my students in seventh grade. Our curriculum is a seventh grade curriculum, but obviously it has a sixth grade year. They did not complete the sixth grade year because our sixth grade does not use this curriculum. Um, so there's this little gap of, of knowledge that I don't know that they had. Also with COVID, they just 
probably didn't have a lot of math um, or didn't have a lot of science fit in last year. Like that was just admitted to me um, or told to me from the school. So anyway, I need to, um, there's a couple concepts that I want them to know so that we're doing part of my chemical kitchen storyline and we're just focusing on the ideas of like matter, properties of matter, atoms, elements, molecules. Um, we're not getting into chemical changes or anything of that really, but it's in preparation to to learn more about like phase changes and and those and changes in matter. So physical changes, phase changes, and then eventually the chemical reactions kind of stuff. So, um, oh, and then thermal energy. They didn't have like that kind of stuff. So, and that's a kind of a foundational principle that that will be helpful to them in the next unit. So I'm not doing a whole big student-driven storyline type of thing, but we are doing part of Chemical Kitchen. And I, um, in the last Spark meetup that we had just last week, our like uh, collaboration connection type of call, one of our members, Debbie, shared that she did this self-paced game board with the students. And I was like, whoa, that sounds really awesome. So I am going to try that out. So I took all of the activities that we are completing in the the unit and I also identified a few like extension tasks or things that I have but are not really they're not vital so I put those as like challenge spaces and I just created this little game board um and I actually I will be sending it out in my email list um, on Tuesday. If you are on the email list, you'll get it. If you're not on the email list, you can reach out and I will be happy to send it to you. But I just created this little game board and it is basically kind of like a checklist. And as students move through the different activities, they can just X out where they are. And um, I don't know, maybe I have them. I haven't like figured, I don't know. I don't really have any plans for like a point system or like winning or anything like that but it's just more like of a self-paced progression thing in the form of a game board so and there's some things that say like challenge and the challenge activities are optional so students who are moving quickly through it might decide to do it students who are taking a little bit more time to get through it might you know skip the challenge spaces and that's totally okay and I'm planning to just have like the materials will be you know, they're all going to start at the same point. So I only need to have a couple of the lessons done, like ready and, and in advance. I actually have most of them prepared already, but I'll kind of just have folders or boxes with the materials for each section. And the goal is that, um, and this was shared with me again by Debbie, she regroups student seating each day based on or every couple of days based on where the students are on their game board. So the students can still work in small groups on the tasks because they're going to be sitting with other students who are also done and also ready for the task. And um, I, the, this unit, I'm also adding a final project that I'm going to be adding into the Chemical Kitchen unit uh, that in, incorporates a little bit of student choice in the presentation of the project, but basically they are going to create like a story type of thing about what's happening to an ingredient in the cookie, um, so a molecule or whatever. Uh, and so as they are working through the game board, they're also going to have in mind that we're going to be preparing for this project at the end. So that's kind of setting our end goal for us. Um, and then, of course, the rubric for the project communicates the learning targets and all of that. So I'm actually pretty excited to try this out. I, I Right now, I have no idea how it's going to go, and it might totally flop. However, Debbie said it's been going really well for her and her students, and I think it will actually be a, a, just a cool um, – strategy to allow you know this is like I said it's just kind of this mini unit there's not a lot of student choice in terms of it's not student driven right now because 
it's just what's coming next. And I, and my goal is to finish it in two weeks. So I, I cut out a lot of, um, extraneous stuff and I'm, I'm throwing, you know, it's not part of my core curriculum that I'm supposed to be teaching with the school and I don't want to get in trouble. So, so I am squeezing it in, in two weeks before Thanksgiving. And, um, but I, but I thought this would be a very cool way to add in the choice with the final projects, as well as add in, um, kind of that independence as students are progressing through it at their own pace. Um, but also in a way that like keeps them on target. And they do all know that like, we do have a deadline of all of this stuff needs to be done by, you know, our Thanksgiving break. So they have two ish, two and a half ish weeks or whatever to, to do that. So, um, I'm excited. I'm going to give it a try, but that's, but that's part of, um, my approach with this class is figuring out what's going to work for them and experimenting. So I feel like I diverged a little bit about my reflections on that class, but I want to share with you my next experiment, which is this game board thing. So that is, um, you know, that, that, I don't know what I was going to say, but all of this stemmed from me realizing that I was losing some of the joy by really adhering to these like difficult labels. And I didn't want to do that. And I really wanted to bring in, um, I really want to, I really want to enjoy all of my classes and recognizing the label was like the first part of it and rethinking it and doing my best to make sure that I'm not communicating that message to my students was the first part. And then, um, like I said, I shared with you some of the strategies that I've done to get that class in my mind back on track. And it's actually been really good since then. I'm, I, yeah, it's, it's been good. So, you know, some days are better than others, but overall I feel like I am enjoying that class just as much as I am enjoying all of the other classes. And that was my, that was my goal, right? In just making sure that it feels like a positive environment. So, I hope this was helpful to you and I hope I inspired you to think about how you are thinking about your classes or your students, even individually, and gave you some ideas to get started on maybe rethinking some of your classes or students if you are in you know, the same boat that I was in. There's nothing wrong with that, that, that I went through that experience. There's nothing wrong if you are going through that experience. It is honestly our brains, just how our brain works. But the more that we can reflect on that and bring that self-awareness in, you know, obviously the better. If you are interested in, you know, hearing these types of reflections a little bit more regularly, I would love for you to join my newsletter, my email list. If you are interested in getting together with me and other teachers like Debbie and um, in the Spark community in our next, you know, uh, connection, collaboration call, um, you know, be sure to join Spark Science program. And this is pretty early to like be hinting at it, but I'm pretty excited. Um, after the new year, we are going to be starting um, digging into some new content and new ideas and approaches and explorations with Spark Science. Um, so stay tuned if you are looking for opportunities to learn, reflect, and implement your learnings, and just be a part of a an even more robust you know, teaching community that is really on board with bringing in three-dimensional instruction and um, developing classrooms that are really, you know, serving the whole student and just bringing that joy and, and um, you know, positive experiences to your classroom while empowering and teaching your students, you know, science. Um, 
keep an eye on Spark Science because there's some exciting changes coming in um, the new year, and I'm going to be sharing details about that soon. And I'm I'm like really really excited about this, but I also don't want to give away too much too soon. So thanks so much for being here with me this week, and I will catch you next week. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.